Welcome to Landwards, the podcast for the land-based engineering community, brought to you by the Institution of Agricultural Engineers. Hello and welcome to Landwards, the podcast of the Institution of Agricultural Engineers. Um, I am your host, Andy Newbold, and I am joined today by Clive Blacker, who is Head of Business Development for, for Arable, for Map of Agriculture, and he's a commercial partner of the Hands Free Farm Project. Hello, Clive. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us today, Clive. Um, how are you, Clive? I'm very well, and I'm over the moon that this is a podcast and not a video. Uh, a wise chap once told me that I have the sort of face that's very good for radio, so this should fit really well. We, we wouldn't like to comment on that, Clive. Um, anyway, moving swiftly on, tell us a little bit about your background. So my background is um, I'm a Yorkshire, Yorkshire lad, born and bred. Uh, come from the Vale of York and uh, I was born into a, a family farming business uh, with farmers and contractors in the Vale of York and uh, that's really how I got involved in the, in the industry being born into it. Uh, educated in York, John Young Farmers, uh, went to Harper Adams um, to study. Um, I'm sure you've got comments on that, that's where I had the pleasure of meeting you. And yeah, Studying then, was something I never Never shared with you, Clive. You, <laughs> we, you attended, in my experience. We had different interests. <laughs> potentially, potentially. Uh, fluid dynamics, I think, was a very popular course. Mm. And anyway, so uh, studied at Harper Adams, uh, left Harper and joined the family farm and contracting business, and got quickly involved in 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 the contracting work that we did. We were uh, commercial contractors doing uh, custom harvesting. Uh, we would contract farm for the farmers. Dad was very passionate about sugar beet, so we did an awful lot with sugar beet. There was about a thousand hectares of sugar beet, a uh, thousand acres of sugar beet we plant. We were we were harvesting um, 600 hectares by the end of it as well with a six-row sugar beet harvester. Um, and then York sugar beet factory closed, so that all that all stopped. And at a similar sort of time, I'd been getting involved with precision farming, and, and as a result, uh, sort of diversified out of the farming the family farm after doing enough field scholarship uh, looking at precision farming into into what pe- a lot of people know me for now as uh, being somebody that's a bit of an anorak around precision farming and technology yeah i'm not going to argue with that clive um th- the standard question at this point is why did you decide to become an agricultural engineer but i have a suspicion you may not give me the answer i'm looking for here <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm, I don't consider myself an agricultural engineer. One of the things, one of the things that you you learn uh, as a farmer is that you've got to be a jack of all. And and I would class myself with lots of different skills. And, and engineering is one that I I had to learn and practice because I was so good at breaking, bending, and and damaging things uh, to keep the job on the road, so to speak. I, I learned uh, I learned all my welding and and uh, skills with metalwork from from my inability to drive properly and and poor visual accuracy um i wouldn't really class myself as an engineer i'm self-taught in everything i've done i didn't study engineering and uh, i i hold engineers in in um uh, in huge regard because of their abilities and their skills and and for me you know sometimes the, the option was always a bigger hammer rather and to get something in a in a hole rather than uh, uh using the proper tools and and, and effects that engineers would and they're probably all despairing at the thought of that so so i really don't class myself as an engineer at all uh, so, just, so would you describe your sort of ag engineering skill set as you know in army terms a bit of an infield commission shall we say in <laughs> I would, service 
Uh, absolutely. Yeah, you, you've got to do what you've got to do to keep the job on the road. And and that's really where our skills came from. You you know, go, we were never frightened of taking things to bits to see if we could mend it to get you going rather than uh, rather than waiting for something if it didn't exist. And, you know, the uh, sugar beet ex- harvester was a, the classic example. I, I had no electronic skills until I had a sugar beet harvester and then quickly had to learn what a multimeter was and, and, and how to beat wires through because when stones go through wires or water in electronics, they don't mix so well. And that's really where I learned all my electronics knowledge was, was from trial and error, so to speak. Um, and do you think your your interest and your passion for sort of precision farming and the early stuff about auto steer and guidance was directly related to your lack of skill of driving in a straight line? <laughs> Absolutely. Anything that could do a job better than me and it didn't have to be particularly good to be better than me, uh, you know, it meant that the job would get done properly uh, and, and with a damn sight more accuracy. Um, I Part of the bit I hated most about spraying was when I drilled a field because the tram lines were never in the right place. You know, my my, my mental capacity capacity to concentrate on a job was always limited. So, um, you know, it, any technology was always attractive to me that, that could do a job better than I could. Presumably you could relate to Jeremy Clarkson with his tram lining incident and with his drilling. Oh, very much so, yes. And, and yeah, it, um, I don't think I was ever quite as bad as that, but... Um, it there was were, his first time out in the field to be fair there were there were there were times it, it could have been comparable if it's fair to say and, and there are several farmers in the local vicinity that i'm sure would back back him up on that <laughs> yeah no fair enough um just going back to doing hnd and ag at harper do you think at that point you had any kind of inkling as to where you were going no when you no i, I certainly didn't when you're when you're a young lad uh agriculture sort of um you know, it's something you've grown up with. It's something that I'd worked on the farm since, you know, a fairly young age, helping out at harvest and, and enjoyed that. It was just a sort of uh, passage of life and transition, really. It wasn't, uh, it was what I was, I don't know if it was what I was expected to do. I certainly, um, it was something I wanted to do, but it wasn't something I was always encouraged to do. That You know, there was given different options if I'd wanted to take them. But, um, you know, agriculture was just something that, that so once you've done it, you it's always in your blood, so to speak. Yeah. The genetic curse, Clive. The genetic Absolutely. curse. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, following qualifications, do you want to do you want to sort of give us a bit of a bit of an insight into your journey, which got you to where you are now, with a bit more detail? Yeah. So, so when we left when we left Harper, uh, those those um, those wonderful days. Uh, obviously, you're then back into the reality of life and working on the farm. And I was given a lot of responsibility on the farm, certainly around spraying and uh, fertilizer spreading. And at the time, we had a, a, a very old trailed sprayer that uh, make shall um, remain nameless, but it was an absolute nightmare. It had breakbacks that, that would prefer to be back than, and broken than there were to be um, working in the field. And it was a pig, pig is of the a thing. That's the word. That's the word. Uh, pig of a thing to use. So um, it really, it really didn't. Sorry, Andy. It's all right. That's obviously the spray manufacturer coming to you on Skype <laughs> to complain right. about not giving them a name check. Yeah, so the spraying was always a bit of a nightmare. But but one of the, I took a lot of interest in it and really enjoyed the spraying, actually. I, I enjoyed activities that, that you were hanging about in fields. It was always far better to be spraying a field than it was power-hiring one, for example. Yeah. Um, and and you got to see every part of the farm. I really enjoyed that. And you 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 know you learnt your farm inside out, and you learnt new farms and fields inside out as you sat on the sprayer, taking interest in in what it's doing and why you're doing things. 
And that's really that was really the sort of introduction I had into thinking about variability and understanding variability, because when you're out putting fertilizer on a field and you can see you've got, you know, in the Vale of York, we have very variable soils. And when you've got variability in fields, you you see that, that um, you know, not everything's got the same problem. There's different weed spectrums. There's different nutrient spectrums that plants need. There's different nutrient problems that you've got to try and correct. And it, trying to treat a whole field when only part of it needed it never made sense to me. So um, the, the opportunity to then start using technology or ways of understanding where those boundaries may be and how you could target them better was always something that I thought was uh, appealing. And I, I always remember my my sort of first introduction to to yield mapping for example we went on a, a bass f open day down at uh, york fleet at john fenton's farm and and i you know dad thought it was i was absolutely blown away by it i was blown away by this combine that had a link to a satellite in space and uh, dad thought john fenton was absolutely bonkers because he would wait till the satellites were passing so he could go and combine certain fields so he could uh, he could um, gather the data and he, he really valued the data as opposed to you know the mentality of a contractor you've got to get on and and at any cost and get the acres through the machine and the the thought of uh, waiting for something just didn't uh, didn't appeal but uh that that really sparked my imagination to well if technology can help us do that then that could help answer some of the challenges i've got with managing this sort of stuff and and that's really what really peaked and, and sparked my first interest in technology um and and the wonderful stuff that agco were doing at the time um we we quickly got involved with um or trying to find technologies to help with that and, and uh, we quickly started looking at, at soil sampling and, and how to vary our p and k products uh, and we became contractors for soyl uh, working with them spreading p and k uh, across yorkshire um, we we spoke to yara and at the time they were developing their their end sensor technology um, and, and that was sort of new to the UK and we got involved with that and, and it was really that technology that really, really brought home the ability and, and capability of what technology could actually deliver. You know, the end sensor was a real revolutionary sort of, you know, leap for mankind in some respects to precision agriculture, the ability to put spectral machines on top of a carbon, monitor the crop as you go through it to, to change the rate to the crop requirements in season made so much sense because you you have the opportunity to change it well yield mapping is excellent and, and and it's a fundamental part of what we need uh the ability to change a crop within a season not just analyze it at the end of the season when you can't do anything when it's in the shed uh, you know the value isn't always as, as uh, retrievable from that sort of technology so so the ability to work with that technology you know was was really quite compelling to me and uh really allowed us the opportunity to challenge to challenge our thinking the way we did things. Um, that's what got me into variable rate. And I was using all that technology as a farmer and operator at the time. Um, in 2004, I did a, I applied to do a Nuffield Farming Scholarship because I was quite excited about where I could see, you know, these terms of auto steer being developed in different parts of the world. And that gave me the opportunity to travel across North America and, and through into Australia. Uh, through the Nuffield network to to really understand and see where technology is being used and deployed and came back in some respects a little bit depressed because we were probably you know the the UK approach to to growing crops and canopy management and real-time decisions and, and thresholds around IPM and, and other assets that we we have here wasn't really being practiced abroad you know the Australians 
Uh, they could be quite gung-ho about how they did things. Americans stuck all their nitrogen in the seabed with anhydrous in autumn when it was frosty and thinking, how can you make that investment and not know whether you're going to get the crop in the ground? You know, it just didn't make sense. Um, but what we were doing, you know, there was a lot of a lot of opportunity with with challenging things in real time. And on that basis, I uh, at the time, Yara had had a big change round as well. They asked me if I would take on the, the responsibilities for looking after the end sensor for them. At the time, there was... I think 16 in the UK. And uh, since then, really, I set my own business up. I left the family farm at the same time the, the York sugar beet factory had closed. We'd sold the sugar beet harvester um, and, uh, uh, you know, setting up my own business, it made, it made a lot of sense. I could, I could do what I really enjoyed doing, working with technology and helping farmers utilise and adopt the technology to do a better job. And then, um, and then also then helping them with the solutions they needed to, to deliver that. So you could really see see things through and, and have impact and change. So there was there was almost an op- an opportunity because of the journey you were on regarding the technology and the contracting, plus a contraction of the contracting because of the sugar beet factory. At which point you thought, right, I'll just step from one side of the fence to the other, but carry on doing what you were doing essentially. Absolutely, and and you know, working in family businesses isn't always as straightforward as people think. There was there were certain relationship issues I had with my dad at the time. Um, you know, coming, uh, working with your parents and working the hours that you work on farms, you know, it was a, it was probably an easier way out, to be quite honest, yeah. to, to go and do my own yeah. thing. And, and so let's fast forward. What about now? Tell us about your day job now. What do so you the, do? So the day job now, I could see, I could see the challenge that I had with the business precision decisions and the way that, that uh, technology was going was, was very much more around data. Uh, the big challenge I still face with with helping farmers with precision farming is is really interpreting and understanding that data and and having having the software capabilities or tools that allows a farmer to simply be able to interrogate um, data and, and make decisions on it. And and no matter what form of engineering or technology you employ on farm today, our ability to capture data in high resolution and and different uh, different forms of data is just exponential. You know that. It's horrendous the amount of data that's available to us that that we could could potentially use if we had the capabilities. And and while I realised that precision decisions had to move in that way, we didn't have all the skill sets. We were more of a sort of practical based company. Uh, it made a perfect sense to me when I had the opportunity to join in with another business that was a data business looking for for on farm presence and and precision farming support to merge the two together. So I merged precision decisions with. Um, Map of Agriculture in 2018. Uh, so we've, we've been together nearly three years now. And, um, you know, the concept being that we can now work with, with some serious data engineers with the, uh, a smarter in, in sort of data engineering rather than machine engineering to really allow us to, to try and be disruptive with these different sources of information and support farmers in different ways with the, the information that, that machines are gathering um, as the pace of engineering's changed with the technologies that are collecting that data. So, so the day job today is probably more sat around a computer, um, designing solutions and, and, and concepts to try and work with farmers to, to deliver information back to them around how they can improve or, or utilise the data more effectively to, to improve their day jobs. Yeah, so decision support. Absolutely. Um, I mean, an example of that this year, for example, we've been working very closely with the technology that we used with Yara in the early days with the nitrogen management to, to build new metrics around nitrogen use efficiency. You know, it, it staggered me sort of four or five years ago at home that we apply nitrogen as our biggest single input to a crop, but I had no idea how efficiently I used it. 
And it's quite frightening when, you know, the mapping we did for Kellogg's this year, uh, we identified use efficiency varying on farm between 45% accuracy or efficiency up to up to over 120% accuracy. You know, so people putting and taking off more nitrogen they're applying, where others are leaving over half of what they've applied somewhere in the environment. Yeah, and then, and and then not designing, necessarily for the next crop either. That's right. And so we've been, you know, designing solutions and tools and, and methodologies to try and support those farmers yeah. to, to improve that decision-making process. I think that's right. Quite. Now, so you, you do... Um, you also oh, so sort of uh, live another professional life, Clive, don't you, as a trustee of the Douglas Bomford Trust. Do you, I do. Want to, do you want to tell us about the Douglas Bomford Trust? Yes, I joined the Douglas Bomford Trust now a couple of years ago uh, as a trustee. Um, a very great privilege to be to be invited and, and, and Especially asked. Especially you're not an agricultural engineer. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Application well. forms are available. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think, I think yes. And, uh, should I say at this point, I agree there, Andy. I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, moving on, Clive. Uh, sorry. Um, uh, so the trust, I mean, the, the trust is is quite a fabulous, uh, a fabulous uh, little trust. It, you know, its capabilities to make a difference are, are, are quite, uh, particularly to engineering, are, are, you know, are, are really important. You know, the main objective of the trust is to advance knowledge, understanding practice and competence within agricultural engineering um, to, and to help people understand uh, the technology to achieve sustainable agricultural um, food production, uh, biological systems that, that benefit the, uh, you know, mankind and the environment. And, you know, that again, all that is really passionate about what I do on the farm or have done on the farm and where I use precision farming. But from an engineering perspective, engineering I see as being probably one of the biggest blockers that we've got, as well as the biggest enabler capability that we've got as well going forward. So um, the, the trust role is quite fundamental in, in, in the background supporting students uh, to be members of iAgree, for example, uh, paying, paying their fees and, and to also allowing studentships and research to continue with support of people from industry uh, that can, can offer some, some opportunity to mentor and guide people in the right direction. While, while you know raising the profile of agricultural engineering which is often overlooked and, and far too regularly what what's the history of the Douglas Bonford trust that's a really good question <laughs> now it was it was set up it's a family it's a family trust it was uh, some money that was left over from Douglas Bonford and what he was achieved the wonderful things he's achieved in his lifetime that's being very wisely um, invested and invested to, to with the ambition, as I said, to support agricultural engineering going forward. Good, good answer, Clive, particularly because I threw that one in and you weren't prepared. So I'm very <laughs> impressed with that. Thank you. Um, so looking forward, where, where do you see, um, you know, if, if we look in the round and take on board the context of within agriculture, where do you see agricultural engineering as a discipline going? Where do you see it going? Oh, well, you know, agricultural engineering is still fundamental. We're always going to need some form of engineering to take take things forward. Quite how that engineering uh, manifests itself and, and progresses, I don't know. Um, I often see the engineering being probably a, a tool to enable technology to some extent uh, as, as a system to, to en enable that technology to do its job in the field and to, to capture and respond to technology requirements. Uh, it, it really is a it really is a fundamental um, tool that we need, and it, it it's probably got to now go through probably one of its biggest changes and transitions. I think that 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 can happen. There, there's so much opportunity in the agri agricultural engineering aspects that I, I really think uh, are really important to the future. 
Now is a good time to be an agricultural engineer. Have I mentioned joining the professional body for agricultural engineers at this point, Clive, as well? You, you have, and, and certainly that's anybody that's considering saying. it, I think they should seriously look at it, particularly those with a, with a, a qualification in engineering. Uh, there's always a way in, wherever you, wherever they, wherever you are, Clive. Um, what about issues then? What do you think of the issues facing the issues facing agricultural engineering? It's easy for you to say. Well, um, so the, the issues uh, I, I see ourselves as being a real crossroads at the moment with with um, where we're heading with data and technology compared to the, the sort of science and scale of electronics and, and where we're going to end up as a as an industry. Uh, and with engineering to some extent being a bit of a forgotten science that enables all of this to happen. Um, I think the successes that the engineering industry has made in terms of improving the size and scale of machines and the phenomenal outputs that we can gain are, are just absolutely tremendous. I mean, I'm in awe of our combine every time I see it operating. Uh, you know, the, the capability for one man to be able to go out and cut nearly 100 acres or more in a day when we used to bugger about with two little combines and, and nearly do half of that um, in, in the space of 20 years is, is quite phenomenal. Um, but the scale also at times becomes the Achilles heel. You know, it's, it's allowed a farmer to save his, his, his biggest cost, which is labour, and, and reduce that, although machinery costs are certainly increasing. But the scale of what's happening is, is meaning that we're, we're losing, to some extent, visibility and precision. And, and the bee in my bonnet I have, I've often had about the scale is that to use an analogy of the combines again, um, while I can achieve twice as much or three times as much in a day as with the same man on a combine today as I could in 1998 when we first started yield mapping, I actually get 60% less yield data. So if I'm wanting to farm better and do a better job of farming and understand the drivers to, to crop production and, and the variability of those crops and how I could improve that, and particularly as we look at more environmental challenges that we're going to be faced with going forward, then, then the quality of the data that comes off these machines needs to improve. And I think that's where the dilemma is for me, is, is what's the optimum scale and the optimum resolution we should be doing things at that really have the impact that the farmer can benefit from on farm to make him more money to buy these machines. Because and, yeah, a wider a wider machine just gives you a, a, a muckier trail of data, which was a bit wider. That's right. And, you know, it's, it's the same for the application technology. So, um, you know, uh, when we first started spraying with that horrible spray that won't be named um, at 12 metres, we're now 24 metres, 36 metres. So, when I can change the, the rate across a boom at 12 metres, I was doing it three times better, essentially, than I am today at, at 24 or 36 metres. Yeah. So, you know, th that technology is changing, don't get me wrong. Uh, the, the, the limitation still comes back to how we qualify the benefits of that through yield mapping in higher resolution and, yeah. and different challenges there. But as we, as we think, you know, we, 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 you and I had the opportunity to trend groundswell a couple of weeks ago. You know, and if you think about where, where groundswell and regenerative agriculture could well be looking in terms of the opportunities and what they're talking about with, with um, uh, split cropping, intercropping and, and different cropping rotations, technologies to drill into cover crops, technologies to, to harvest two crops together, technologies to be able to, to manage and manipulate those are going to be quite important going forward to, to, to allow us uh, the ability to, to really look after the environment and our soils uh, and allow us the opportunity to more profitability. Yeah. And that was, that was something that did strike me actually, you know, I did see a fantastic use of technology in auto steer and, and 
biological engineering through genetically modified crops in, in America on my Nuffield study. Um, there was a problem with uh, nitrogen in the watercourses in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, the over-application of nitrogen was causing huge problems. There was high nitrates in water. Blue baby syndrome was very common and related back to the nitrates. So with, with auto steer and, and with other technologies, uh, it was really hard to, um, it was really, it, it really opened up an opportunity for us to, to think about how that could be used. So what they were doing was establishing winter wheat with no nitrogen, planting two rows of winter wheat, leaving the third row. Um, and they could achieve that with auto steer very simply. In the third row in spring, into that crop of wind growing winter wheat, they were then planting the soya. The soya would then grow, and, and as the soya got to, to uh, as the wheat got to maturity, they would come in with combine harvesters that could, again, precisely travel up the wheat rows, not damaging the soya, harvest the wheat heads off above the soya, uh, and at the same time then uh, allow the soya then to grow through um, and essentially harvest two crops in one, treating them all with, with G, uh, GMO crops with, with um, uh, Roundup meant that they could keep very good weed control. Uh, there weren't the limitations. So essentially those farmers were achieving the productivity of, of sort of one and three quarter crops in the same season as they, as they would historically have only had one crop, but equally growing a crop of wheat without nitrogen, reducing the problems with nitrates. Yeah. So real fascination use of engineering and technology combined to, to really improve the, the farm's welfare and the welfare of the populations and the environment. So, so g- given the excitement you hold for this, what advice would you offer to anyone considering heading into ag engineer as a career, heading into uh, agricultural engineering as a career? Don't hesitate. I mean, it, it, agriculture is the most exciting uh, industry that you could work with, and agricultural engineering underpins that. Um, and the opportunity for change and, and uh, excitement in that sector now is probably at its greatest with the onset of, of drones, of robots, of, of newer technologies that, that we're looking at targeting things in different ways. Uh, you know, it's, it, it really is an exciting and uh, multifaceted skilled or, or opportunity for people to, to, to work in as a career. And there's nothing more fulfilling than working in agriculture. I mean, how many people are so relieved they're working in our industry after what we've just seen with yeah. COVID, after, well, that's after very cities true. and everything else, we, we've all still got jobs. We can all still get out there and be outstanding in our fields every day, can't we? <laughs> we certainly can. It's it's you know it's a it's a very a very uh, a very great industry to be part of. Well, on that fine note, I think we will draw this podcast to a close. Clive, that has been a fascinating insight into your professional life um, and the journey thus far as well, which I'm sure is not over yet. Um, So, Clive Blacker, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Clive. Uh, We'll be back for another podcast shortly. Thank you. Over and out. For more information, visit www.iagree.org. You have been listening to Landwards, the podcast for the land-based engineering community, brought to you by the Institution of Agricultural Engineers.